You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yep, yep, we're going to go with Fitz this week, and uh, yeah, that's, that's how it's going to stay. Time to lock and load. Time to get control. Time to search for What's up and welcome back to the Locked On Bucks podcast. I'm James Yarko, joined as usual by David Harrison. You can find everything that we're doing over at BucksNation.com and make sure you follow along on Twitter at Locked On Bucks, at JayYarko underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. Here comes Santos Claus, here comes Santos Claus, right down Santos Claus Lane. That's right, the Buccaneers have kicked Chandler Kent Kikanzaro out of the building and replaced him with former Chiefs and most currently former Rams kicker Cairo Santos. David, how do you feel about that, buddy? Uh, I feel good about it. I mean, Kikanzaro had to go. I mean, I, I've been trying to defend him against you uh, all season long. More, more honestly, just to pick at you a little bit than anything else. But <laughs> I think I think we all saw the writing on the wall. I mean, after after that performance, you, you can't justify keeping him around anymore. And I think you know, I think Brent tweeted out about it. I think Trevor tweeted about it like that that uh that game winner against Cleveland you know might have been like the worst thing to happen to the Buccaneers all season because that is kind of what uh what kept him on the team I think a little bit longer than he should have and after after this last weekend performance it was just it was it was obvious I think to everybody that that kick was the anomaly and what we saw was was the norm so very excited for for Santos to come in he's the guy that I think I know we've kind of targeted more you than me but you know still this this show has targeted as a replacement once Dan Bailey got scooped up and I think that's pretty much the name that was on everybody's mind. So hopefully uh, Santos has had a pretty decent career overall. Hopefully he can he can provide a boost for the for the Buccaneers moving forward. Yeah, and and don't get me wrong. I mean Santos is not yeah you know, he's not Vinatieri. He's not Dan Bailey. He's you know I I wrote it up real quick for for BucksNation.com. In his career, I mean he's an eighty four point one percent accuracy kicker. Like that's that's who he is. He's ninety five of one thirteen, and he doesn't have a real strong leg on kicks uh, over forty yards. He's thirty for forty three. I mean, not not stellar numbers. He, uh, there's a reason he was available, but when he comes on the field, especially from from less than forty yards, I, extra points in his career one thirty two of one thirty eight. So you're far more confident when he sets foot on the field than when you had Catanzaro walking out there on the field. Yeah, I mean, Catanzaro had almost as many misses this year on extra points as Santos has had his entire career. So uh, that that speaks volumes right there. Catanzaro has missed four field goals and four extra points this season. So I, and I said it when, when they signed him, uh, that I didn't like the signing at the time. It's a guy who steadily declined, um, you know, since his time with Arizona and then to New York. And he just, he wasn't a good kicker. I didn't like the signing when it happened. You know, it's one of those things that I didn't want him to fail. You know, I'm not one of those people that roots for, for players to fail just to say that I'm right, but I was right. 
you know, this that's ex- he showed every reason why I didn't want him to be the signing for the Bucks. He didn't solve the kicker issue, and I knew that from from the jump. Yeah, I, so, I think the only question remaining, and, and we'll see that this weekend, obviously in New York, is something you brought up. Like like you said, he has he's got a weaker leg, so how is this going to impact uh, kickoffs and special teams and all that? But I, and I was thinking about that during the Redskins game. You know that that might be one of the reasons they kind of held on longer than they should have uh, because he does have a strong uh, like uh, Kanzer that is has a strong leg and was able to put the ball in the end zone and and all that stuff but honestly i mean i don't know man like unless unless this special team unless the kickoff coverage team starts giving up like a kick return a game it's really not like you need a you need a more reliable field goal kicker more than you need touchbacks on kickoffs just just the, at the rate that kickoffs are returned for touchdowns in the national football league it's just uh, it's not as big of a concern in, in my mind anyway as it is you know making field goals putting points up on the board uh, especially in the game we just witnessed because like we've already kind of covered putting those points up early uh and, be, and being dependable there would have would have put landscape of this game yeah yeah for sure and you know, it's it's a change that had to be made, and there's more changes coming. Like, we know that there's more changes coming. It's just a matter of what exactly those changes are going to be and the timing of the changes. But I, David, I just, I get the feeling that we're in for an incredibly... Um, News-filled New Year's Eve, which, of course, will be Black Monday across the NFL. But I know we had a couple of voicemails uh, that we couldn't get to last night. And I know that there's one in particular that you are just foaming at the mouth to get to. So let's go ahead and knock out these voicemails and and be on our way because they're probably going to take up the majority of our time uh, for this episode. Hey, fellas. Uh, Will from Buffalo just got done watching the game. and I can't believe they just had 500 yards of total offense with three points, five trips to the red zone with one possession resulting in scoring. So I don't know. I think it's time uh, for Cutter and, and his staff to go. And I guess I hate to say it, but to start from scratch again. So uh, let me get, let me know what you guys think. Uh, thanks. Hey, guys. It's uh, Chef there. I'm from North Dakota. Just calling in to say that uh, I believe that Dirk Cutter has officially lost this team. I mean, nothing uh, the, on the one day the defense actually, you know, plays up to par or plays good defense, the offense takes a huge crap on the field. And guess what? What I've been speculating for so long came to a reality. Dirk Cutter was play calling, and we saw exactly how the differences between Monken's uh, play calling style and Dirk's play calling style. I'm at this point that, uh, you know, as much as I defend him late, I can't, I don't care. I don't even care if uh, he gets fired right now. It's, this whole franchise needs a uh, complete change, and it just, uh, it, it needs an exorcism at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't disagree with a lot of what was said. And David, you and I, we talked uh, quite a bit about Cutter last night. Let's talk uh, briefly about, <clears throat> about Jason Light. And look, I've, I've, been one of the guys that's been in Jason Light's corner. I think overall, he's done a pretty good job. Has he had his misses? Yes, of course. Every GM has their misses. It happens. But I mean, he's he's the best that we've seen in the last 15 years. I mean, Dominic was terrible. Bruce Allen was terrible. You know, Rich McKay, he was all right, but then he gave a lot of control to Gruden before he went off to Atlanta and you see how far that got them. Um but overall, I mean, I, I like Jason Light. I think he's done a good enough job of assembling talent. But 
at the end of the day, if if the Glazers are going to make the decision that it's time for you know the Olympic schedule that the Bucks are on, where every four years you blow it all up and start all over again, then there's a good chance that Jason Light doesn't stick around. There's a good chance he's part of the full rebuild. That you know they are going to, as as Chef put it, they're going to perform an exorcism. They're going to get rid of everybody. Jason Light, Dirk Cutter, the whole coaching staff. Gerald McCoy might be gone. Levante might be gone. They might let Quan walk. You know you. You got to blow up this whole offensive line outside of Ali Marpet. Ryan Jensen has been a massive disappointment. I like his attitude. I like his his persona, but his play not great. And you and I were both big proponents of of bringing Jensen in. We were excited about it, but he has not played well. You know this this whole thing outside of maybe five, six, seven players. You know, Ali, OJ, uh, Evans, what Justin Evans. Did it, did I say OJ Howard? I mean, there's a <laughs> and count on two hands the number of players that they would probably honestly want to keep out of the starters if they're going to really start this thing all over again. And if you're going to do that, you know, it's more likely than not that Jason Light gets the axe. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've been a big defender of Jason Light as well as everybody knows, and I still think he's done a, a pretty good job. I think. It's it's a little bit harder, like with Dirk Cutter and with with the coaches just in general. It's easier for us on the peripheral to sit out here and say, you know, with, whether or not we think they're doing their job. Uh, again, I don't think anybody is questioning effort. I think everybody understands that you know the coaching staff, the players are putting in uh, the hours needed and, and all that. But it's it's easier to kind of just see when when the coaching isn't working. You know, um, when you talk about a general manager. And, and I've mentioned this before. Really, I, I really couldn't make a fully accurate assessment of, of and, and form a full opinion myself without knowing kind of how that that organization uh, operates from the inside. You know, how much is Jason Light in control of the draft? How much is it a back and forth between the coaches? Obviously, the scouts are going to have their input. Um, you know, is it? Is it 60 of the other and 40 of the other? Is it a 90-10 split? You know, how how is this how is this relationship going? Because that that matters, you know, at, at the end of the day. If if the way the organization is structured, and this could have just as much to do with Jason Light as it does with anybody else in the building with the Glazers themselves. If Jason Light is a type of GM who says, Hey, I want to give my coaches the players they want, and you know, uh Mike Smith is sitting there pounding the table for, uh Dirk Cutter saying, yes, let's bulk up the defense. And Jason's like, all right, guys, well, I really don't see it. But if you want them, we'll get them. You know what I mean? Like, is that on Jason that Vita Vea hasn't been a, a Pro Bowl player in his first year, which that's a whole different conversation uh, that you and I agree on and some people don't. But is that on Jason or is that on the relationship? And if that relationship works that way, is that because that's how Jason likes it and wants it and thinks is the best way to do it? Or is that kind of years building where it's like hey guys you are a team in this and and this is how this is going to work it's going to be a 50 50 deal meet in the middle type of situation or is this a situation where jason light puts his roster on the field and says hey coach coach my team um because we've seen it both ways right you look at dallas jerry jones puts his guys on the field and says hey garrett coach my guys you know it, it's not a it's not really a give and take over there at least that's the uh the understanding that we have yeah i mean it, it very much could be you know jason light sitting down with his scouts and Dirk and and Mike Smith when he was there and Todd Munkin and and maybe some of the position coaches and saying, look, these are the guys that I can go out and get. This is the amount of money that we have. These are some guys that I can go after. You know, who fits what you guys need? You know, we obviously need pass rush. Mike, who are the pass rushers that you need me to go get? You know, we need help on the offensive line. Yeah, Dirk, 
tell me who who fits what you need done in this offense on the offensive line. I, I'll go right. get them. You know, that's that's more than likely how this works. Same thing with the draft. You know, when they show the pictures and they show the phone call when they're calling who their first round pick is. It's not Jason Light sitting in his office. It's Jason Light sitting next to Dirk Cutter, sitting next to the Glazers, surrounded by scouts and position coaches and coordinators. It's a group effort. So, you know, yeah, we give Jason Light a lot of credit for some of the things that he does, but he doesn't do any of this by himself. It is very much a joint effort. I think somebody like Jerry Jones is more of the outlier. And Jerry Jones, for as bad as he is at, at constructing football teams, because he just flat out doesn't know what he's doing. There's, you definitely can't say that he's not trying. That man tries everything to try to put a winning team out on the field. You know, whether it's it's dumb, stupid, indifferent, or the occasional smart move, Jerry Jones tries everything he can to win. With you know, And outside of New England, where basically it's Bill Belichick says, give me this guy, I'll win. <laughs> you know, every, every team has that give and take. The general manager and the head coach have to work hand in hand. Yeah. You know, a GM, and it was we say it all the time, we quote it all the time. Bill Parcell, Bill Parcell says, "If you want me to cook you a meal, let me go shop for the groceries." Mm-hmm. You know, GMs don't just construct who they want and then hand it over to the coach and say, "Here, go win with this team that I built in Madden." It doesn't work that way. So, for all of Jason Light's hits that we give him credit for, and all of Jason Light's misses that people want to pound him for, you know, there's other people involved in those decisions, in those draft picks, in those free agent signings, in the constant revolving door of the kicker debacle. You know, people are, I saw it again today. People say, well, I don't think I trust Jason Light's judgment when it comes to signing kickers. He's not the only one making this decision. He's just the one that, you know, lines up the contract figures out the money, gets some help. Uh, I, I can't remember the the capologist name um, for the Bucks. He, he gets some help with the cap numbers, but he, you know, he orchestrates it. But there's a lot of people that put in the work to bring in these players, whether it's draft or free agency. So, you know, as, as much as people want to bash on Cutter or, or bash on Jason Light, it's not all on him. You know, and if if the Glazers say, you know what, Jason, we'll give you one more year. It, and I, I said this in, in a column. I, I can't remember when it was. It was it was a week or so ago. If Jason Light goes up to the Glazers and they say, look, you you have to do something here. You have your we gave you a one year extension. You have to make something happen. And he can tie you know his entire career to to one guy. And he says, look, let me get Bruce in here. Let me get Bruce Arians in this door. Let me put together the team that he wants, that he needs to win. And you're going to see results. Right. You know, that could very well happen. And then people could be praising Jason Light for all these great moves that he made. But it's because of the head coach. It's because of the players that the coaches need to succeed. Yeah, so, and that that kind of goes in line. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was kind of thinking uh, along the same lines. It, it kind of goes back to what I wrote about. Uh, Dirk Cutter on on Bucks Nation last week about you know he didn't really want James Winston in the first place so is this a coach who kind of deserves the opportunity to get his quarterback a quarterback that he picks to run his system or you know is it just too too much damage to really repair it and we just need to move on the same thing kind of goes with Chase Light like he you know he was hired with Lovey Smith you know I don't I don't think it was really a much of a situation where he went out and picked Lovey Smith that I don't really remember a whole lot of that that coaching search to be quite honest with you so i might be wrong there and then the whole dirt cutter thing it, it just kind of felt like the focus was more keeping james winston with one coach 
versus uh, seriously going out there and, and searching for a coach. Um, I think that was kind of a foregone conclusion that Dirk Cutter was going to be taking over this team. So, and, and again, those are dynamics inside the building that we're not privy to. So I don't know how all that stuff went down, but if, if, it kind of goes back with James Winston, right? We talked about, it. I know that Fitzpatrick is starting, but we kind of said, if we believe that James Winston, and when I say we, I mean the franchise. So the franchise believes that James Winston could still be this franchise uh, future at the quarterback position. He needs to play. Yeah, uh, the, you know, the, the franchise needs to see what they have in him and, and if he can develop even over the season and, and all that and be and start to come. If Jason Light, if, if this team believes that Jason Light is part of the reason that this team has players that are being impact players, like, you know, like Adam Humphreys, like Cambray, OJ Howard, um, you know, Chris Godwin, Quan Alexander, so on and so forth, then let's give him a chance. If this is correct, what I said about the coaching searches in the past, let's give him a chance to go out and find his coach. We give him an opportunity to find the coach he wants and, you know, the scheme and the system and the the theology of football that he agrees with and sees eye to eye with this guy to coach the players that he is targeting in the draft and free agency. Um, but again, the, the so that's just kind of an overarching view of the general general manager position. Again, all those intimate details, I can't solidify and sit here and say one or the other, but I feel like I still feel like this roster is more than talented enough to win games and get to the playoffs. So I wouldn't give up on a general manager that's providing me that roster. Yeah. And that's fair. That's a hundred percent fair. So, all right, David, I, I know, I know you're chomping at the bit, but <laughs> let's go ahead and get to this voicemail that you, uh, you spent quite a bit of time on. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say because yeah, I have, I have no idea what's about to come at me. <laughs> all right. I'll just go ahead and mute myself and, and just prepare <laughs> for a, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be like your cat and Zara rant. Like this is, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a little bit of a soapbox moment. All right. Well, I'll just mute and I'll sit back and enjoy brother. All right. Hey, how you doing? This is Bernie down here in Houston. Uh, watch the game. I didn't get a chance to call after the game, but I'm calling the next morning. Um, just a little disappointed in everything, you know, display calling, the, the way they stayed away, got away from the running game, just the way we couldn't move the ball, couldn't do the, do nothing with the ball inside the red zone. And, and you're absolutely right when you sit there and said about third cutter gets away from the, the running game. Cause I remember the Thursday night game we played the Patriots last year when Doug Martin was really just ripping them up and ripping them up and you know and in the second half he didn't even play you know I know he was coming off suspension but you know that was working that was got us our only touchdown that game and you know so I, I, I don't know what to do guys I mean you know uh, I, I, I know Dirk Cutter is, is grasping his straws trying to go with an old man quarterback trying to take away I mean he does, he's doing everything that he think is possible but sometimes you just got to know when it's when it's over you just got to move forward and I think it's just time to move forward from Dirk Cutter and you know I think it's time to move forward from a lot of players you know and and just go back and just just start over I think that's pretty much what it. I mean, it, it, it sucks to say that, and it's hard to 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 you know grasp that. But something not working, you know. And when we got to get it changed, and you know, and, and oh, it's gonna keep continuing to be like it's been for the last 12, 15 years, you know, of, of us starting off good seasons and just floundering at the end. So you guys have yourself a great day. Gonna suck, suck, think about this again. So yeah, have a great day. Bye. All right. So, so yeah, so that was Brent from Houston. Uh, again, thanks for, thanks for your call, Brent. And, and yeah, uh, your voicemail coupled with Dirk Cutter's comments today and a little bit, uh, like James said, kind of, kind of inspired me. So I, I appreciate that. And, and what I did is, you know, yesterday Dirk Cutter said that he took over play calling and he had his reasons, right? He didn't really expand on those thoughts. Well, he was asked that during the press conference today. 
And he did expand and he said that he wanted to focus on the run against the Redskins a little bit more than they had in the past. So that's why he took over play calling from uh, Coach Munkin. And listen, so the the first things first is that kind of speaks to some of the issues that I've touched on in the past when it comes to uh, Dirk Cutter specifically, just because he's the head coach, but just this coaching staff in general. Um, it, It reminds me of when Mike Smith last year said, you know, when he was asked about Vernon Hargraves playing so far off on the perimeter, well, I don't tell them whether to play press or play off. That's their decision. Well, you're the defensive coordinate, coordinate the defense. But it's part of it. You know what I mean? Are we playing aggressive or are we playing soft? That's not a, it shouldn't be a player decision because then you have 11 players making their own decision on whether they're playing aggressive or soft. And I don't know, that's just never going to work. That comment said the same thing to me because what that tells me is that this is a head coach who doesn't trust his own offensive coordinator and they have history together. So he, he basically is saying, you know, in subtext that I don't trust Munkin when I say, Hey, Monk, we need to hammer the ball against the Redskins. I don't think he's going to. That that's a relationship problem. That's a working problem. That is not two coaches working and and in uh, in sync with each other, right? So that's that's issue number one. Is that you know when when you as a as a head coach get to the position where you don't trust your own offense, the overall game plan that you have envisioned for your opponent, that's a problem. Um, and you with Dirk, that might be a, a, a listening issue with Monk. And it might just be kind of in the middle. I don't know where it is, but that's that's the first thing that bothered me. The second thing that bothered me, or well, the second thing that really hit me was, you know what? I wanted to d- dive a little bit deeper into this running game situation because that's what Coach Cutter said. I took over playing calling against the Washington Redskins because I wanted to focus on the run. Well, here's what that looked like. Peyton Barber had 13 carries for 61 yards, 4.7 yards per carry with a long of 14. Even if you take that long out of the number, and you give though you look at those 12 you look at those 12 carries he still has a very solid yards per carry average uh, i think it was 3.9 i didn't write it down but i did the math i think even taking away that 14 yard long his yards per carry average is still about 3.9 right around 4 yards per carry you can you can win with that average right but 13 carries so that's not a focus on the run and in any game if you ask me right carter likes to use different running backs okay Sean wilson had two carries jack rogers had one quiz had one carry and i went through the, the game script i went through the game book neither of those running backs had carries carries that were called back by penalties and therefore wouldn't show up on the stat sheet. Like when I say Sean Wilson had two carries, he had two carries. Jaquiz Rogers had one carry. Okay. Go back to Peyton Barber, 4.7 yards per carry, right? This team had a problem in the red zone. He had two red zone carries out of five red zone trips. That doesn't sound like a focus on the run game to me. Okay. The team, all right, the entire Tampa Bay Buccaneers team had five runs inside the red zone yesterday. Well, Sunday, five, a little bit better. Okay. Three of them came from Ryan Fitzpatrick, and they were all scrambles, okay? So when I say that Peyton Barber had two carries in the red zone, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers called, Dirk Cutter called, two runs in the red zone out of five trips in a week where he took over play calling from the play caller who had led the number one ranked offense in the National Football League in order to focus on the run. Then I broke it down even further. In Washington territory, Peyton Barber got four carries for 18 yards. So out of his 13 carries, nine of them came on the Buccaneer side of the ball or Buccaneer side of the field. All right. That's, that's not a coach committing to the run. And we saw it. Um, I saw it on Twitter. I've heard it on other podcasts. We talked about it, that there's no commitment to the run game that yesterday was not a situation where the run game failed to action where the team, i.e. the play calling and the strategy on the field failed to support the run game in their efforts. I broke down even further. I, I took the Buccaneers 10 possessions. I whittled it down to seven. Okay. Here's how I went to seven. I took out the drive there at the end of the limited on time. You're limited on timeouts. Of course, you're going to pass the ball. 
I'm not blaming anybody for that. I took out the drive where Ryan Fitzpatrick threw the interception on the first play. I'm not going to gig the coach's game calling on a one-play drive that ends in interception. Okay, I'm just not going to do it. And then I took out the 10th drive of the game, which is at the end of the game, 17 seconds. You know what I mean? It, it's one one pass play. It's I'm not going to get that either. So that left with that left me with the seven seven drives. Peyton Barber had four carries on three of those drives. Okay, all three of those drives ended in the red zone. Two of them ended up in missed field goals. Okay, one of them ended up with that first interception on that first drive. But every single time Peyton Barber touched the ball four times, and and, and I say that each each one of those drives was exactly four carries. Okay, Peyton Barber got four carries. The Buccaneers made it to the red zone. So that's three of the seven drives, right? You look at the other four. Uh, Peyton Barber got one carry on one of those drives that ended in a punt. He got one carry on the fourth drive of the game, ended in the red zone and uh, ended in that field goal. That's when Canton Zero made the field goal. And then the sixth drive of the game, he ended up, he had zero carries. Seventh drive of the game, he had zero carries. Because again, like I said yesterday, he had no carries in the fourth quarter. All right. One of those drives ended in the red zone, ended up with a fumble. The other drive ended up in a fumble before they got to the red zone. So going away from Peyton Barber on four drives, they made it to the red zone twice and got three points. So you have a system during the game. Every time we focus on Peyton Barber, 100% of the time we get in the red zone. When we go away from Peyton Barber, we're still getting near or in the red zone, but it's much, much harder and we're putting a lot more on our quarterback. We're putting a lot more on our offensive line. It, it's not nearly as effective. Okay, so that was number one. Brent brought up Doug Martin in New England. So I went back to that as well. Uh, uh, James, you and I have talked several times about Dirk Cutter's tendency to go away from the running game. And because Brent brought this up, I decided to do the same breakdown uh, that I did for Peyton Barber against Washington, the, uh, against New England for Doug Martin, right? So Doug Martin, 13 carries, 74 yards, one touchdown against the New England Patriots. Very winnable game. First half of the game, Doug Martin had eight carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. Now, one of those carries was brought back by a hold, but eight times Doug Martin touched the ball, he gained 63 yards and scored a touchdown. In the second half of that game, Doug Martin carried the ball five times. All right. He had 11 yards, but he carried the ball five times. Plays Four of those carries came in the first half of the third quarter. The last carry came with 3.11, three minutes, 11 seconds left in the third quarter. He didn't touch the ball again after that. All right. Looking at the drive breakdowns, the very first possession of the game against New England, Doug Martin didn't touch it out and punted. The second possession, he got the ball on two carries back to back, first and second down, put them in a third and three, and Jameis Winston missed the third down conversion pass. But you know, remember that he, Doug Martin put them in a very manageable third down uh, situation, right? Third possession, no carries, three and out. Fourth possession, six carries and a touch. Now, one of those carries was called back by a penalty. Okay, but six times he, he touched the ball on that drive. Six times the Buccaneers went out there and said, we're running with Doug Martin, and they end up scoring a touchdown. The only touchdown they scored in the first half. Fifth possession, no carries, three and out. Sixth possession, no carries, three and out. Uh, that one's a little bit, put a, put a star on that one because it was towards the end of the half. Uh, so again, not going to hold that one too much against Dirk Cutter. First possession of the third quarter. Again, he gets them in a third and three situation and James Winston misses the third down pass. Eighth possession, two carries. So of all the carries that he's had or all the drives he's had, this is his third time only getting two touches, right? So if the trend is right, you would say, well, that would put him in a, in a manageable situation, right? Not so fast. So Doug Martin got one carry in the first three three plays of that drive. It put them in a, they ended up in a three and out situation, right? Follow the trend. He They ended up in a three and out situation. New England had a penalty on the punt, gave them an automatic first down. And that next set of plays, he got one carry. Guess what happened? They punted. Ninth possession in the game. Doug Martin gets two carries, and Nick Folk misses the kick. 10th, 11th, and 12th drives of the game, no carries. 
The 11th drive of the game is when the Buccaneers scored their second touchdown from Braden in that game. One time against New England, Doug Martin carried the ball for less than two times or two or fewer times, and the Buccaneers got into scoring position. The only times that the Buccaneers got into scoring position against New England Patriots back then was when Doug Martin was involved in the offense. All of the best opportunities the Buccaneers had against the Washington Redskins to put points on the board came because they got Peyton Barber involved. And again, and last year, wasn't last year the year that Dirk Cutter said this is a running team? Oh yeah, absolutely. I and mean, he that's that's always been his thing. You know, we want to we want to run the ball. We want to run the ball. So basically what you're telling me and everyone else listening is we shouldn't have gotten rid of Doug Martin. <laughs> what I'm saying is that this team's running issues, <laughs> I, I feel like, are less. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I am not. I'm not a fan of of coaches or of, of teams that have just a this is who we are every single week. We're going to try to beat you the same way. I don't. I don't like that mentality um, because you have too many athletes and too many players with with strengths and weaknesses on your team to to come in with that situation. But it's just it's just time and time again. And I know we did this big math thing last year with with Trevor that he put up on on the Peter Report and all that. Um, and I know that was a lot of numbers, guys. So if, if you didn't follow it 100%, uh, you know, I'm sorry it's a lot of math, but, uh, you know, I don't know if you want to re listen to it and so you can track it a little bit better. Trust me, it makes sense. Um, <laughs> I agree with me. So hopefully you do too. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, it just kind of shows you. And, and again, I, I, those are the only two games I took. Okay. So don't take this as a overarching, you know, condemnation of Dirt Cutter and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lack of commitment to the run game. I'm sure that there are games where the run game did not get off the ground and it just wasn't happening. So don't take this as a, the Buccaneers should be running the ball 20 times a game with Peyton Barber every single week. This game was primed and ready for Peyton Barber to have a big game, for Peyton Barber to get at least close to 100 yards and probably get a touchdown or two. But they went into the red zone and and they got to the red zone largely because the Redskins knew that Peyton Barber might get the ball and because it was being effective. And then when they got in the red zone, they got pass happy. Okay. And I talked about that a little bit yesterday. I called into the pewter cast and talked to Brent Wren and we talked about that a little bit uh, over there. It's, It's just not smart play calling. It's just not smart football okay um jaquiz rogers has become charles sims 2.0 and that's not an indictment of his running style jaquiz rogers had eight catches for over 100 yards he had one carry so guess what you're starting to see if you're the washington redskins defense when jaquiz rogers is in the backfield they're playing pass yep when, when jaquiz rogers was in the backfield it was a passing play all but one time okay that makes it real simple on a defender and i see jaquiz rogers out there i'm like man the last six times this dude's been on the field They've only ran it once. I can kind of commit to pass coverage or whatever my pass assignment is pretty confidently. And if they did it against the Washington Redskins, or if they get if 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 Josh Norman did that against Tampa Bay, if I see Jack Rogers in the backfield, it's a pass, and I played it that way. He was that's a really high percentage. That's where coaching comes in. That's where scheme comes in. If I if I can see those those tendencies, I'm not an NFL defensive coordinator. So if I can see them, if our fans can see them, if our listeners can see them, if our readers at Bucks Nation can see them, a def- an NFL defense coordinator is going to see it. a quality control coach who's been watching you. You know, you're a New York Giants quality control coach for defense has been watching you for ten weeks now. They're going to see it. They're going to recognize it. Um, and if, if you come into the game against New York Giants saying this is who we are as a team, what they do on defense, forget what we might be able to take advantage of on defense. This is who we are. 13 carries of Peyton Barber, eight and anytime Rodgers in the backfield, it's a pass. The Giants are going to beat you. Yeah, and I I haven't looked at the the snap percentages, but I would be willing to bet that not only did Jacquez Rodgers finish with the most receptions on this team, which is mind-boggling in and of itself, but the fact that he had four times more receptions than O.J. Howard had targets – Mm-hmm. And I would be willing to bet that Jacquez Rogers was on the field for more plays than OJ Howard was. That's 
that goes back to coaching. That goes back to the play calling that we talked about yesterday. And it goes back to just horrendously poor team management. Yeah. Like that's that's what that boils down to. And I mean, and another thing from the press conference, like I know it's only Monday, you know what I mean? So we still have till Sunday, but I mean, the, the New York Giants are, well, the New York Giants are playing football actually, but um, like I said, they've had, they've have quality control coaches in the building starting to get ready for for this game. And and that's what those guys are doing. And they're getting ready for their, you know, the, the other coaches and all this other stuff. We don't even know who's, who's calling plays on Sunday right now. Dirk Carter said that himself. He doesn't know who's calling plays. There is a big difference, right? We've all noticed it between Coach Munkin calling plays and Coach Cutter calling plays. Now, the players didn't practice today. They're basically off today. I got it. Hopefully, by tomorrow, we know who's calling plays because who's calling plays this Sunday is going to have to practice what they need to prepare for. Uh, is, I don't know, man. I mean, 10 weeks, I don't know. 10 weeks in, you should know who's calling plays. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it, and, and Jenna Lane tweeted something out that I found to be just absolutely mind-boggling. Um, she had tweeted out that... that that Cutter had said that they were going with with Fitzpatrick this week, and then she she retweeted herself with the comment of "Should be noted that one member of the Bucks offense asked me today if Dirk told us who the quarterback was this week. I told him Fitzpatrick. He asked me not to see if I knew, but because he didn't." Hmm. So the players don't even know what's going on. They don't even know who who's taking snaps for them. Right. You know, how does this how does the team not know who their quarterback is? How does the team not know who's calling their plays? Like it just I said it yesterday and I'm probably going to stay for the rest of the season, man. He signed his own pink slip. This is done. Like stick a fork in him. Yeah, I mean, I don't I honestly, I mean, yeah, I'm to the point I can't really see how uh this can continue in 2019. I mean, even if uh, you know, if this team runs off six straight wins. I don't know. I just I I can't see wanting I can't see the organization wanting to bring the same product back in 2019. All right. Well, <clears throat> David, I know we're we're up against the time now. Please continue to send in your voicemails by calling 813-444-5841. Of course, if we play you on the air, you know that you're entered in to win that autographed Quan Alexander jersey. Make sure to check out tomorrow's episode when I will be joined by the host of Locked On Giants to preview that game, which should just be ooh, it should just be fascinating to watch. <laughs> We are in for a good one, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you're checking out everything going on over at BucksNation.com. Make sure you follow along on Twitter at LockedOnBucks, at JayArco underscore Bucks, and at DH82 underscore Bucks. It's going to be a long seven weeks, but you know what? The times, they are a-changing yet again for this Bucks team. Thank you so much for joining us right here at LockedOnBucks. Bucks.